Welcome to Kick-Ass Radio, hosted by Joe Sainsbury, founder of Kick-Ass Women. Join Joe over the next hour as she shares stories and conversations that are both inspiring and empowering. Having spent over 30 years in the corporate sector, Joe Sainsbury kicked off her heels and became a coal train driver working in the rail and mining industry. It has been her goal ever since to empower and support women who are considering a career change into an industry role, making the transition as smooth as possible. Joe is a walking, talking success story of how taking the plunge into industry can open up a world of opportunity. And you can do it too. If you're a woman working in industry or considering a career change, this is the radio station for you. Let's get into this episode of Kick-Ass Radio. Hey there, Glow Getters. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Radio Show. Hope you're all coping as best you can if you are still in lockdown and working from home, homeschooling, and literally just trying to get through each day by day. Sexism. It's everywhere and it's every day. No matter what your profession, industry, or employer, everyday sexism exists. Now, aside from calling it out as it happens, which understandably not everyone feels they can do, can anything really be done about it? Young women in particular know that everyone deserves the right to live and work in an environment free from harassment and violence, and they are telling us loud and clear that enough is enough. You are listening to the Kick-Ass Radio Show Kickstart, where we talk about all things women working in non-traditional roles in varied male-dominated industries, and I tell you how it is. I'm your host, Joe Sainsbury, the glow-getter. I hope we can keep you in good company over the coming hour. And a massive big shout-out to all the women working out on site and on out on track today. Stay safe, and I hope you have a great shift. And this might also be a good time to give a trigger warning that the radio show does and may contain some adult language. Let's get into it. Okay, so when it comes to judging someone's words or deeds, Australians often resort to a casual barometer known as the pub test. If the locals are okay with it, then it's deemed socially or culturally acceptable. By that standard, people across the country delivered a resounding verdict no, in response to allegations of sexual harassment that reached into both the government and parliament. The biggest crowds in decades, and we're talking about tens of thousands of women and men, rallied back in March earlier this year to demand greater female representation in politics and serious action against sexual violence and discrimination. Whether a tipping point has been reached in a long history of sexism in the workplace depends in part on how Conservative Prime Minister Scott Morrison continues to handle the fallout. And I do have a great update on that later on. From bad jokes to assumptions about skills, a major study reveals the sexist comments that offend Australian workers they hear too often. Some of Australia's biggest employers have campaigned over the past couple of years how to tackle everyday sexism by pointing out that not all jokes are innocent. Phrases such as make sure you wear your low-cut top to meet with the client or you've got to let her know who wears the pants around here are just some of the examples of sexism in the workplace masquerading as humour, according to the Australian Human Rights Commission's report. 
Now, sexism is a sensitive and highly nuanced topic. Most people don't want to be accused, let alone be guilty of sexist behaviour, while some often dismiss the subject as political correctness gone mad. Yet we see it play out every single day in the media, in politics, in our workplaces and in the community. 6,000 employees across different workplaces took part in a report and identified a range of jokes that were actually upsetting. And some of those examples included, you won't want to work on that machine, you might break a fingernail. Another worker posted, you are such a media whore, hashtag joke, hashtag funny. Now, female workers said they have experienced men interrupting or talking over them and men explaining things to them as if they had no prior skills or knowledge when they actually do. One employee said, the supplier said, can I speak to the manager, love? Referring to the man behind her. And she was, in fact, the manager. If you really want to get an idea up, I asked my male colleague to propose it in the meeting. I don't like it, but it's a means to an end. That's what another female employee said. As the only female at the lunch meeting, I watched the men wait for me to take off the plastic wrap off the sandwiches and take the minutes. That was another female worker. And another was told, we'll get you to smile sweetly as guests arrive and hand out their name, name tags. Now, female workers said that they have experienced comments about body shape, size, physical characteristics or dress over skill and competence. I couldn't take her seriously in that presentation. Did you see what she was wearing? That was what one employee overheard. Another reported hearing, she's mutton dressed up as lamb. Now, both women and men said in the report that they have encountered gendered assumptions about parenting roles also. One woman said, when I fell pregnant with my second child, I was told that was the end of my career. While a male worker said, when I said I wanted to leave to pick up my kids, I was asked why my wife couldn't do it. Women also said that they were often described as being too bossy or, on the flip side, not assertive enough, too emotional or nice. I was told I needed to be less aggressive, to be more feminine. That was what one female worker said. Men reported being told they are too soft and not competitive enough. So everyday sexism impacts women and men, whether intentional or not. It can take a significant and cum cumulative toll on the personal lives and career progression of employees and also the effectiveness of organisations. Now, while some industry sectors have responded decisively to more explicit forms of sexual harassment, everyday sexism is still evident in workplace interactions systems, policies and decisions that affect both individual careers and organisational cultures. Typically, people don't raise it because it can be seen as too small to make a fuss about and few want to be seen rocking the boat. Discrimination occurs even though almost 60% of organisations have specific diversity and inclusion policies designed to combat racism and sexism in the office. And DNI initiatives should explicitly focus on women. But consistently in work, we hear that these things do matter. They are outdated at best, harmful at worst. 
Unless we tackle everyday sexism, the most innovative policies and initiatives designed to advance gender equality and inclusiveness and effective organisations will not deliver the change we need. Okay, let's have a little break and I'll be back with you soon. Hi, I'm Jo Sainsbury, founder of Kick-Ass Women. As a woman working in industry, I want to share my knowledge and experience and industry know-how to support you if a change in your life is what you are looking for. Join me on my radio show, Kick-Ass Radio, every Friday morning at 10am across Australia or on Thursday afternoon at 5pm in the US. What are you waiting for? Go on, get your glow on. Okay, thanks for tuning back in. So what does everyday sexism look like and how should you respond to it? Do you know what casual sexism looks like at work and how to tackle the issue? Overt displays of sexism may be easier to spot in a workplace. The lopsided gender makeup of your workforce that suggests biased hiring, which can also be seen in promotion pathways and a lack of representation in leadership teams or company boards. Now, if clearly sexist practices are tough to stamp out in the corporate world, how do you even stand a chance against everyday or casual sexism? What does casual sexism even look like? Now, a first step involves identifying sexist behaviours and practices that work and acknowledging that it is a problem. In practice, it can be difficult to agree on what constitutes sexism and to create an environment where everybody feels free to voice concerns. Now, this can be a particular challenge in multicultural and hierarchical environments. Now, sexism at work involves a number of things. There's derogatory comments, objectification, sexist humour or jokes, over-familiar remarks, silencing or ignoring people, gratuitous comments about dress and physical appearance, sexist body language, lack of respect. So how do we deal with a sexist co-worker? What if it's not table stakes at your company and your colleague does make an offensive remark in your presence? I believe it's crucial to call out the behaviour. You should be empowered to step up and say directly to the person, you know what, this is not acceptable. I find it offensive. Please don't do it again. Employees at all levels need to feel that they have the ability to respond in a polite and constructive way. And in an ideal scenario, the offender should back down, apologise and reflect on their behaviour, even avoid reoffending as they become consciously aware of what is and isn't acceptable to say. However, if the behaviour persists, there should be protocols in place to tackle such scenarios. And the issue should be reported and discussed with your one-up line manager or supervisor. And if the manager isn't able to resolve the situation and they are reoccurring offences, the issue should be brought up to HR. Now, this process should be clearly communicated to employees at all levels and there shouldn't be a fear of retaliation if a report is made, either to your line manager or HR. The person should feel safe enough to do so. That's reported. They shouldn't feel that somehow there's going to be a backlash. That should never be the case as long as they know what they're doing is right and they feel empowered to do so. They should be able to at least speak to HR and present the situation to them. So common manifestations of everyday sexism at work 
Now, it's different to sexual harassment. Everyday sexism is rarely raised or complained about. And it can be either intentional or unintentional and is evident in workplace interactions, systems, policies and systems. And it ultimately impacts both organisational culture and individual careers. People typically don't raise everyday sexism because it can be seen as too small to make a fuss about. But everyday sexism does matter. So unless we tackle everyday sexism, the most innovative policies and initiatives designed to advance gender equality and inclusive and effective organisations will not deliver the change we need. So how can we tackle the behaviour? And you can do so by some of the following strategies, including do not validate humour that is explicitly or implicitly sexist or offensive by laughing, staying silent or making excuses. Call out the joke, for example, saying, what did you mean by that comment? If you miss the moment to call it out, don't let it pass. Ensure both the joker and those who heard it are aware of your stance. Ensure equal share of voice at meetings you lead or you attend. Before closing a meeting or, agenda or an agenda item, ensure everyone has been provided with the opportunity to comment or contribute. Ensure all contributions and contributors to a discussion or initiative are acknowledged beyond the most senior or vocal. Adopt the panel pledge to ensure high profile discussions and forums include the voices and experiences of women. Question assumptions about the type of work, especially physical, that men and women can and cannot do. Be vigilant when introducing women, for example, as speakers or at meetings where comments about appearance can undermine credibility. Check whether you are making assumptions about or choices for women or men regarding how they value or prioritise their career. And ensure equal access to flexible work arrangements for women and men within your organisation. Recognise where gender stereotypes are being applied to assess performance or leadership capability and reframe a discussion anytime an employee or candidate is assessed as too anything, too bossy, too soft, too emotional. Okay, let's hear a quick word from one of the show's sponsors and we'll be back with you soon. Hey, Glowgetters. Have you heard about Kick-Ass Women? Founded by Joe Sainsbury, Kick-Ass Women is dedicated to empowering and supporting women who are considering a career change into an industry role. Visit our brand new website at www.kickasswomen.com.au or follow Kick-Ass Women on Facebook and LinkedIn today to keep up to date with all things Kick-Ass Women and the incredible opportunities and content we have for you. See you there, Glowgetters. Okay, issues women face in the workplace. It has been a couple of years since the hashtag MeToo spread virally back in October 2017 which has been used to bring attention to the widespread prevalence of sexual, uh, sexual harassment and sexual assault, especially in the workplace. However, as we stumble our way towards the end of 2021, a great number of working women still sadly experience a range of discriminatory issues in the workplace that are not limited to sexual harassment. Now, sexual harassment um, in February 2018, the University of Sydney released their Women and the Future of Work report, which included findings of the first ever survey of attitudes to work from Australian women aged 16 to 40. Now, the findings showed that one in 10 working women, that's 10%, have experienced sexual harassment in the workplace. 
The report also noted that it can be particularly difficult to make a complaint of sexual harassment in a male-dominated workplace. Although the Me Too movement may empower employees to bring forth historic allegations of sexual harassment in the workplace, this may be restricted with the government cutting the timeframe for lodging a workplace complaint with the Australian Human Rights Commission from 12 months back to six months. Therefore, a sexual harassment complaint can be terminated if it is lodged more than six months after the alleged conduct. If this occurs, the complainant can pursue their claim in another legal avenue. However, where the complaint process is free, simple and flexible, an application to another legal avenue may attract additional costs for the complainant, including application fees and in legal representation. Nevertheless, recent cases have demonstrated an increase in general damages being awarded in sexual harassment claims. So back in October 2018, the Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal ordered an employer to pay $10,000 in damages to a female employee for discouraging her to make a complaint about a male co-worker who was making sexually harassing comments. Now, the case has reiterated a manager's obligation to provide support to effectively document the complaint and to treat such allegations seriously. In another recent case in the Fair Work Commission, Commissioner Harper Greenwell stated that benevolent sexism has no place in the workplace and that the failure to object to the dismissal of the group leader who made inappropriate sexual comments does not provide a justifiable excuse for his behaviour. Although these cases assist in raising public awareness, that sexual harassment in workplaces will not be tolerated, academics and practitioners are calling for updated federal sexual harassment laws that provide injunctive relief for sexual harassment before a formal court decision is made and for laws that hold employers and perpetrators accountable. Now, family violence, although both men and women can be victims of family violence, statistics show that family violence is a gendered crime as Australian women are nearly three times more likely than men to experience violence from an intimate partner. And research also shows that women with a history of family violence will often experience a more disrupted work pattern, which can affect their personal income. With employees who experience family violence often experiencing difficulty in gaining and retaining paid employment and in disclosing family violence where it may impact on their employment. So from August 2018, the Fair Work Commission introduced a new clause providing for family and domestic violence leave into all industry and occupation awards. Now, this clause entitled all employees, including casual employees, to five days unpaid family and domestic violence leave. Now, the five days of unpaid leave may be taken by an employee who is experiencing family and or domestic violence and requires leave to deal with the impact of family and or domestic violence. Now, this can include the need to attend an urgent court hearing or to make arrangements for their safety or the safety of a family member. Now, the introduction of this clause marks a positive step towards recognising that family violence is a complex issue that does not simply affect a person's private life, but also can impact their broader public life, including employment. Though in considering the practical reality of family violence, it is arguable that five days unpaid family violence leave is simply not enough. 
The Family Violence Leave Entitlement is only available to employees after completing 12 months of continuous service. So currently speaking, there is no requirement for enterprise agreements to contain a term providing for family and domestic violence leave. And there is no similar entitlement for award or agreement-free employees. Now, the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU, submitted that the entitlement to five days family and domestic violence leave should be paid in considering the potential costs associated in leaving an abusive relationship, including hiring a removalist, relocation costs, childcare, counselling, solicitors' fees, court appearances, and amending their rent and utility bills, applying for intervention orders. So there's lots of um, contributing um, factors that um, occur here. And it, it, it needs to be um, more so held under the spotlight by the employers and taken into consideration. And although the, the introduced paid leave is encouraging, the great majority of employees employed outside the public sector may struggle to find time and financial independence to deal with the impacts of family and domestic violence with the current leave entitlement of the five days. And that's unpaid family and domestic violence leave if they've been there less than 12 months. Then there's pregnancy discrimination under the sex Sex Discrimination Act of 1984 and the Fair Work Act of 2009, if an employee can't be treated equally for being pregnant, they're held at a disadvantage for parental leave. So, for example, Australian employees are currently not entitled to receive superannuation whilst taking paid or unpaid parental leave. The denial of superannuation under these circumstances further feeds into pre-existing gender pay gap and retirement gender gap where women are financially disadvantaged in taking time out of the workforce for caring responsibilities and to raise children. Um, Australian um, government pledged $400 million towards superannuation boost for employees to receive superannuation on parental, paternal and partner leave, which may go towards closing the gender pay gap. And in light of other positive developments, the Long Service Leave Act in Victoria um, also amended back in 2018 to recognise periods of paid parental leave and up to 12 months of unpaid parental leave is counting as service. So this means that taking parental leave during these timeframes will not break continuous service and will be counted in the Long Service Leave uh, calculation. So as long service leave legislation differs between each Australian state, it will be interesting to see whether Australian states or other Australian states will follow Victoria's um, suit. So the issues raised here today cannot be improved or changed overnight. These issues stem from a need for systemic cultural change across all workplaces. HR departments can play a key role in influencing workplace culture by implementing effective anti-discrimination and anti-harassment policies in the workplace. Employees may also have avenues to address unlawful discrimination and unfair dismissal or on general protection claims, which there is now available resources that may be able to assist with. Okay, that was long-winded. Let's hear a quick word from another one of the show's great sponsors and we'll be back to wrap it up. Hey, Glowgetters. Did you know that Jo Sainsbury is a published author for her book, High Heels to High Viz, and has been named an Amazon number one bestseller? Telling the story about Jo's transition from the corporate sector into industry 
High Heels to High Viz acts as a guide for women who are considering a non-traditional role and career. High Heels to High Viz is available for purchase online at all leading bookstores, including Amazon, Dimex, Waterstones and eBay. Okay, so our take five, five ways forward. Despite improvements, many industries can be an unwelcoming place for women. It's a man's world, but it shouldn't be, and that's not no excuse. So some might not find these findings particularly shocking. The male-dominated industries have a blokey reputation, existing in the public consciousness as a domain of brawny catcallers and blue-collar rambuckishness. But if the problems of gender discrimination are more palatable in construction than in the other sectors, that doesn't make them any more excusable. Indeed, reports point to a number of ways the industries are suffering from a lack of female participation, and that goes beyond the straightforward uh, unfairness of workers being excluded from advancement opportunities in their workplace due to their gender. So, for instance, the construction industry isn't finding enough skilled workers to fill the positions it already has. That's why we should be looking at the largely untapped pool of potential female apprentices and recruits. There are other benefits for businesses whose workforce better reflects the gender makeup of the society it serves. And the report highlighted increased innovation and productivity resulting from new ideas and perspectives, greater competitiveness when tendering for public contracts with governments that have diversity in mind, and the potential for greater gender diversity to lead to better inclusiveness for other marginalised groups. Workplace diversity in all its forms also benefits a business's bottom line. So our five ways forward for how workplaces in the, in the industries can address the disparity between male and female talent. Number one is challenge stereotypes and shift perceptions. These are industries whose public face is heavily male and young women considering career choices notice this fact. The industries need to sell themselves better, not merely by repositioning it as a career path for both genders or championing high achieving female role models, but also in communicating the diverse and challenging roles that require a difference in character and skill. Number two, a fair deal on recruitment and progression. One in five women in construction believe gender has been a reason they've been overlooked for a promotion. And in 2018, research from the University of New South Wales, it was found men are assumed to be capable while women have their professional capabilities questioned or singled out. Now, the Randstad report note underscores the need for more systemic and objective selection in opening up equal opportunities for women in the industries. Number three is sort out working conditions for everyone. So construction is an industry dominated by long and inflexible working hours and where parental leave is seen as an option for women only. A resource cost that individual employees must strategically plan their career around. Now the report urges the promotion of job sharing, standardised work hours, removing Saturday work and setting up projects with gender equality in mind, and perhaps most importantly, having a zero tolerance policy towards sexism. Number four is time for women to lean in. A lot of male managers still believe that gender equality is a second order priority or even something to resist. So the report says, while noting that 
because men occupy the majority of management positions, it is important for them to pursue change. Women therefore have to take the initiative through mentoring, setting up networks and communicating the case for diversity. Number five is governments should look beyond tick box targets. And there's lots of them. Because of government's influence in the industries, they can implement targets. And Randstad, however, urges qualitative and quantitative objectives on diversity and inclusion. At best, it can lead to a genuine rethink of the culture that holds back women and how it can be challenged. Now, I have a passion for having women in all industries because I am a female in the rail and the mining industry, but also because there is so much documented proof that if you have more women in your organisation, you will be more successful. Now, we can see that by raising awareness around these issues, employers or employers are starting to sit up and take action. By keeping this conversation alive and bringing these issues to the forefront, we can make a real difference for all industries. Workplaces certainly need to do more in order to attract and retain female talent by satisfying job expectations, breaking down the gender barriers and providing more stimulating work with greater opportunities for career progression. Okay, so here's your safety affirmation. Good building isn't done with a hammer and saw, it's done with the head. Therefore, that's why more women should be in all industries. Okay, let's round it out. That's it, guys. I do hope you found the information we've talked about today helpful and valuable, and it gives you something to ponder and perhaps action over the weekend. Now, of course, there are all the preventative measures that organisations should practice to begin with, such as hiring individuals who portray the values, behaviours and attitudes that align with the company, as well as doing necessary background checks before onboarding someone. Companies should also take responsibility to communicate the right values through formal training sessions and workshops, as well as through leadership advocacy. And senior management needs to make a conscious effort to ensure that they don't have any of the sexist remarks come into conversations, whether formal or otherwise, because it just means that they're not being thoughtful. And it comes from the top. If the CEO, president, managing director or GM are saying, I don't tolerate it, and they make sure that this is the rule and applies to everyone at every level across every part of the company, not just to certain people, in that sense, it's really democratic. That's important. Now, breaking news, hot off the press, well, last night here in Australia, the Respect at Work bill has just been passed in federal parliament. It was drafted in response to Sex Discrimination Commissioner Kate Jenkins's Respect at Work report. So here's a quick breakdown of the main changes. Sexual harassment is now defined as serious workplace misconduct. Sexual harassment, that is, unwelcome and demeaning conduct that could reasonably be anticipated to offend, humiliate or intimidate is now a valid reason to fire someone. Complainants now have two years to make a complaint, an extension on the previous period of six months, which we talked about earlier. Parliamentarians, staff, the judiciary and all levels of government are all bound by the new laws. So before this, they were exempt and work health and safety regulations to protect employees are being expanded to include psychosocial 
hazards. That is hazards that can cause physical or psychological injury. So what isn't changing? The government is only assessing a recommendation to change sex discrimination laws to force all employers to proactively take measures to eliminate the behaviour, to see whether it can be implemented. Now, the National Women's Safety Summit, which was delayed because of COVID's um, outbreak in Sydney, will meet again next week. So what do you think on that? Let me know. As always, I really appreciate you guys giving me your time to listen to the radio show. You can find me on more information on the episode in the show notes or on my social media pages and reach out to me and follow me on Kick-Ass Women or the Joe Sainsbury social media pages if you haven't already and show your love. I'd love to hear from you guys. Send me an email at Jody J-O-D-Y, at kickasswomen.com.au and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can get to uh, listen to it anytime you want. All right, folks, have a great week. It's been great to um, share your, your company. Go on, get your glow on and become a glow glare. Glow getter. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Kick-Ass Radio, where we kick goals and deliver empowering conversations for women. Want to hear more from Kick-Ass Women and Joe Sainsbury? Visit the Kick-Ass Women website or follow Kick-Ass Women on Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram. See you on the next episode of Kick-Ass Radio.